wrote to the Philippian church that at the name of Jesus, every knee would bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Now, that's not happening right now, but someday every knee will bow. That's the powerful name of Jesus. We just want to welcome you to Creekside Church. If you do happen to be here as a guest, this is your very first time at Creekside Church. We want to welcome you in the seat, underneath the seat in front of you, uh, there is a, a welcome card. And we would appreciate it if you would just fill that out and uh, put that in the offering plate as our guest this morning. That's all we'd ask you put in, the, I should say, the offering bag. It's not a plate. The offering bag as it goes by later on in the service today. We're just glad that you're worshiping with us. So if you're here and you're a young person that is going to Sunday school, yeah, this is the time for you to be dismissed right now. We're grateful for your presence, but you are free to go to Sunday school now. And I have a few announcements. Actually, I have several more than I like to make, okay? Um, many of them are in the bulletin, but I want to highlight a few things. First of all, uh, one of our uh, church family here, uh, Gene, is it Wednesday you're going to be 99? May 6th, sorry. Yeah, not this Wednesday, May 6th. Gene will be 99, so sorry, you know, I, you get, I got it wrong, but that's good, okay. May 6th, on May 9th, it's a busy week that week. Alfonso from our, our church congregation will be sworn in as a U.S. citizen downtown. You have information's in the bulletin except for the time, 1 p.m. So I hope you can make it down there. And if you uh, need a ride or something, you talk to Bob Vaughn. He's headed down, so we're just excited. Let's, uh, we're just really grateful and thankful. Let's give him a round of applause, Alfonso. All right. Good deal, man. He's... Uh, He's worked, he's worked long and hard on that, long and hard, so we're grateful for that. Ministry fair is going on, so if you uh, would like to, if you would, please make your way there after the service this morning. Look around at the different tables and see where you can get involved or where you can be a participant, where you can serve. It's a great a way to get acclimated to some of the ministries that are going on. If you have questions, the people are there. They'll answer your questions about those different ministries. Don't be bashful. Many of you here, this is kind of not new to you, but some of us, it is new. So I'm kind of looking around going, oh, wow, there's a lot of information here. And so just don't be afraid to ask questions, all right? also want to remind you that we're uh, working on May 11th is uh, Karen Akers, which is an elementary school here in Urbandale. We're doing a sponsoring a table there. So if you would like to help out with the sponsorship of that table, the, the financial thing, the information's in the bulletin. You can make the check out to the church and just put in the memo line, uh, Karen Akers fundraiser. If you're available to help man the table, be there to pass out free stuff and talk to people and be a face of Creekside Church, talk to Mike Johnson. Uh, he's the one coordinating that for us. Also, I want to remind you that on April 29th, a week from today, we're collecting, we're doing a, a quarterly collection for the Urbandale Food Pantry, and Bob Vaughn's in charge of that, but we want to bless the people of our community here, so if you'd come prepared to do that, again, information's in the bulletin, but I just want to put a plug in for it. What a blessing it was uh, the last time we took food down to the food pantry. I mean, we came in there with a whole boatload of stuff, and we're just taking two or three or four carts in there, and the people are blessed, and we're just encouraged by that and a chance to give back to our community, so appreciate that. On a, a more somber note, I just ask you as our church family to be praying for uh, Gretchen Fuchek's daughter, Lori. Uh, Lori has uh, had been experiencing some numbness, I don't know where, but for several days, and so she's in the hospital in Iowa City uh, undergoing tests, and Gretchen called me uh, a couple days ago, and, and I prayed for her and told her I would 
present to this congregation. So I'm going to pray for her, and uh, then we'll uh, continue on with our, our worship service. So, Father, I just uh, want to praise you and thank you for your goodness. I, I just want to pray for uh, Lori, Gretchen's daughter, and ask that you touch her body, bring healing and strength to her, give the doctors wisdom and strength that they need to treat and uh, diagnose and treat what's going on in her, in her life, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So, Bob. Good morning. We're in Iowa in April. I gotta say something about the weather, right? So I checked the extended forecast all the way to the end of May, and uh, the lowest temperature in Carlisle is going to be 37 degrees. So you can compare that to where you live, and you might want to move down south with us. <laughs> so <laughs> I don't know about Albert City, but I think the groundhog calls for six more weeks of winter. Is that? <laughs> <laughs> If you, if you miss shoveling snow, Steve's got some ideas for you. <laughs> Let's just ask God for his help this morning. Father, thank you for this time together to worship you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the lessons of it and for how powerful and applicable it is to our daily lives. And I just pray that as we open it this morning that you would reveal to us what's needful for each person here. I just pray that you would lead by your spirit this morning, that you would give me words, that you would give me and each one of us hearts that have ears to hear what you say to us this morning. Just ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're starting a new series this morning, and it's called Portraits of Faith. And basically we're going to look at, I think it's nine different individuals in the Bible, and um, Old Testament, New Testament, and just kind of look at their lives and see how God uses people. And each one of these people that we're going to talk about has some issues in their life. But each one of these people that we're going to talk about was used by God to do his work. And so this morning, before we start with our character for today, who's Mark, I want to just read the verses that we kind of had on our heart uh, as the outline for talking about these people. So if you want to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 12, I'll read the first two verses. It says, Therefore... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God, at the right hand of the throne of God. So this is kind of the, the outline, and, and if you're not familiar with the book of Hebrews, chapter 12 here starts out, it's right after chapter 11, you probably could have guessed that, but chapter 11 is often called the Faith Hall of Fame, because it tells story after story after story, some names, some without names, of people who lived by faith, who trusted God, and they acted it out in their lives. They made decisions day by day on what they believed about God. Some of those people got to the end of their life and they didn't see what they were hoping for come to pass. But the author of Hebrews says here, all of these people come into your life like witnesses into a courtroom and they say, God is faithful and God's promises are worth living for. And so chapter 12 verse 1 says, so as we look at these people and perhaps they're looking at us, watching how we're living our lives, let's remember to lay aside the weights. You know, there's things 
and the sin. There's things that are sin that we need to, to lay aside, get rid of in our lives. There's also things that are weights that tie us down. And maybe we'll talk about that with Mark. There's some things that might have been a weight or something that might have been a weight in his life. But he set it aside. And we need to set these things aside. Sin, weight, things that distract us from following God and obeying him and pursuing his promises in our life. So today we're going to, like I said, we're going to talk about Mark. And Mark is not talked about a whole lot in the Bible. In fact, I, I kind of am interested to do a little poll um, before we even talk about Mark. If I were to ask you, can you tell me more than two things about Mark? How many people could tell me more than two things about Mark? You can raise your hand. I, prob I won't call on anybody up here, so you don't have to worry about that. But just, just think through it a minute and let me know if you can tell me more than two things about Mark. I see a few shy hands. But not everybody's putting your hands up, and that's, that's what I'm saying about Mark. He's not uh, extremely well-known. In fact, sometimes he goes by the name of John, or John whose other name is Mark, or John's surname Mark, or just Mark. And so it's a little hard to keep track of um, who Mark is in the Bible. But he ch faced a challenge in his life that all of us face, I believe, in our life. And, and there, was a, there was a challenge to his reputation that came up in his life, and he overcame that. And, you know, I, I think all of us have probably faced that. I, I remember about two things about kindergarten. And one of the things I remember about kindergarten is the teacher, Mrs. Leidick, gave us these pictures to color, and I got a picture of a skunk to color. Now, <laughs> that's cool, because how many colors are on a skunk? Two, yeah, and, and the paper's already one of them. It's already white, so all I had to do was color the black parts, so I colored the black parts. You know, great job, and Mrs. Leidick looked at it, and she, I don't know what she said, but this is what I heard. You really did a sloppy job on that. <laughs> and I just, I was just totally ashamed of myself, and I kind of slipped it. I don't, we didn't carry backpacks back then, but I, I you know, kind of hit it, got home, and I, and I slipped it in the garbage can, crumple it up because I didn't want anybody else to see what a terrible job I did coloring this skunk black. But you know, the fact that I remember this um, 20 years later or so is a testament to how impacted we can be, <laughs> how impacted we can be by what people think about us. Because that sticks with us, doesn't it? Well, Mark overcame that. He rejected reputation and he grasped God's gift because I think we're going to see that God gave Mark a very special gift and he used it. And so we're going to kind of take a look at his story and I, the next slide are some of the people that were in Mark's life that I think were important. Mary was his mom and we're going to see as we look at his timeline what his uh, the kind of person that his mom was. And I think that was probably a big impact in his life. Another family member of his was Barnabas. And Barnabas is called his uncle or Mark. In some translations, it says he's his cousin. And so um, Barnabas was a relative who was a very prominent person in the early church. 
And so we're going to see that Barnabas played a big part in Mark's life. Another individual is the Apostle Peter. You know, because Mark, that we're going to talk about, is the person who wrote the Gospel according to Mark, which is the second book in the New Testament. And people believe that Mark didn't witness these things, but he heard Peter talk about them and very carefully wrote down as accurately and completely as he could what Peter told him. So Mark spent some time with Peter. And then another very influential person in, in Mark's life was Saul of Tarsus. That was his name before he was saved. And then somewhere in this story, he, his name gets changed to Paul. And Paul was the only apostle that, that didn't follow Jesus while Jesus was alive in, on this earth. And so those are kind of the key characters. And, I, you know, you, when you prepare for a sermon, you learn things. And even just getting these pictures, I, I did not realize that Paul was probably the first person to preach from an iPad. <laughs> so, next, I just kind of want to take, and we, you know, there's not one passage we can turn to and look at Mark's life encapsulated in a couple paragraphs. So, there's several places that he's talked about, and I, I wanted to just kind of lay them out in a timeline in order as they happen by time, so we can see kind of some of these influences in Mark's life. So the first time that he's mentioned that I'm aware of is in reference to a prayer meeting that's at his mom's house. And she's referred to as Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark. And so they were having this prayer meeting in her house, and the, the circumstances were Herod, the king of Jerusalem, had taken John and Mark prisoner. And in order to please the Jews, he had beheaded... No, it wasn't John and Mark. It was James and Mark. He had beheaded James, and it pleased the Jews a lot. So James was martyred very early in the church history. And Peter was in prison, probably expecting the same fate. And so they had a prayer meeting for him. And it was at Mary's house. And while they prayed, God answered their prayers. He came in to send an angel into the prison and said, Peter, get up, put on your shoes, put on your coat, we're leaving. And so Peter woke up and put on his shoes and his coat, and they, they walked out of prison together and went to Mary's house where they figured people would be praying for them. So Mary was a woman of prayer. They knocked on the, Peter knocked on the door, and uh, the servant girl came to the door, and she heard Peter's voice, and she ran back in. She said, Peter's here. Peter's at the door. And they said, no, Peter's in prison. That's why we're praying for him. Peter's in prison. That's why we're praying, Rhoda. And so she went back and she said, no. She came back, no, it is Peter. It is Peter. And so finally they went and checked and sure enough, it was Peter. So sometimes our faith is that way, right? I mean, we have a, an idea how God should answer our prayers. And when he answers in a different way, that's better. We're a little bit surprised. And so they were surprised. But the key, I think, is that Mark grew up in a family of faith. So then, a couple years later, we read that Saul and Barnabas, and remember Barnabas is, Barnabas is Mark's uncle, brought Mark with them from Jerusalem. They had brought some money to Jerusalem. There were people in need, and they had taken some money from other churches, brought it to Jerusalem, and when they came back to their kind of home base in Antioch, they brought Mark with them. So Mark came back, and when they got to Antioch, shortly 
Paul and Barnabas were sent out by the church to go on a missionary journey and spread the gospel of salvation through Jesus Christ. And so they took off and they brought Mark with them. And he, he's called, we'll see later, he's called their assistant. So basically, he was carrying their bags. And so he went to their first stop. And when they went to their second major stop, Mark decided to go back home to Jerusalem, where his mom lived. And this turns out to be kind of a key event in Mark's story, because he left Paul and Barnabas, and he went back home while Paul and Barnabas continued on their journey, spreading the gospel throughout the Gentile world, and Mark came back. And this led to, a couple years later, an event that's recorded in the book of Acts. And one thing we want to remember, the, the book of Acts is a, is a historical account. So sometimes in books that are giving historical accounts in the Bible, we read things that maybe were not exactly the way God um, intended them to be, or we see things that people do that they shouldn't have done, and it's not always clear. But Paul and Barnabas came back from that long journey to Antioch, and then they decided it would be good to go back and revisit those people and encourage them. And so Barnabas said, yes, let's do that, and let's bring Mark with us. And Paul said, no, we're not bringing Mark with us. Do you remember? He, he left us. Like our, our, after our second major stop, he left us. And I'm not bringing somebody like that with me. And there was this big blow-up centered around Mark that's recorded in the book of Acts. And, you know, I, I can just kind of imagine how that must have felt to Mark to hear this argument over him and his fitness. Is he, is he worthy to carry our bags? No, he's not worthy to carry our bags. He'll He'll leave us like he did last time. Now, we don't know what Mark's reason was for leaving them. And, you know, we could speculate any number of things, and people have speculated a number of things, but we just don't really know. I mean, it could be because, um, you know, he was homesick. It could be because he didn't feel that God was calling him to go into that Gentile area and do ministry at that time. It could be because somebody needed help somewhere else. We don't know. But regardless, he got a reputation that Paul made known that he was an abandoner, that he abandoned them. And so he wasn't fit to carry their bags anymore. And so there was this big fight, but then Paul took someone else. He took Silas with him, and Barnabas took Mark with him, and they both went out separately on their missionary journeys. Well, some of the things I think we'll see that Paul wrote later would make you think that Paul perhaps was out, out of communion with the Spirit in the way that he treated this situation. Whether he was right or wrong to, to want to bring Mark, some of the things about the situation don't fit the ministry that Paul gave later as inspired by God. So Mark went with Barnabas, and Paul went with Silas, and they went their ways. And that was around A.D. 48 or 49, and then the next time we hear, well, this, this is actually not, I didn't get this from the Bible, I got this from commentaries and historians of that time, that in the mid to late 50s, Mark spent extensive amounts of time with the Apostle Peter. And this is when they believe that he penned the Gospel of Mark. And so 
it's commonly believed that the Gospel of Mark is really Peter's eyewitness account. And as Mark listened to him tell these stories, people who were aware of Mark and knew Mark wrote that Mark was very careful to be very accurate and very complete in how he documented the life of Jesus as told by Peter. And so probably in the mid to late 50s, Mark penned the Gospel of Mark. Then we see something interesting here because in a couple different letters that are believed to have been written in AD 62, which is, you know, probably 13 years after this period where Paul said to Mark, or said to Barnabas, Mark is not worthy to go with us. Paul writes in a letter, he says, Mark sends his greetings to you. Mark is with me, and he sends his greetings to you. So somewhere in that process, Mark continued on his service as a servant of the Lord and a servant of the Lord's people. And he crossed paths with Paul again, and Paul brought him with him. And so that's encouraging to me because God heals things like relationships. He, he heals things between Christians, between unbelievers, where there's been a breach and you, you can't work together because of our sin, but God heals that. And once again, you can have communion. Well, then as, as you read First Peter, which was written about the same year, maybe the next year, we see that Mark is with Peter in Rome again. <clears throat> and then historians say that Peter was martyred in A.D. 64. And then the next time, chronologically, that we hear about Mark is in a letter that Paul writes to Timothy. And he says, bring Mark with me when you come back because he's, he's very useful to me. So we see kind of this breach and this healing of the breach. And I think the main lesson that I have taken from Mark's life and that I'd like to communicate to you today is to resist, and the way I'm going to turn it, resist your reputation and grasp God's gift. And what I mean by that is Mark got a reputation and whether it was deserved or not, he got a reputation that for somebody like me, it would have been really hard to overcome. I would have tended probably to say, you know, I mean, here's the most, the most prominent, couple of the most prominent people in the early church, very well known, and they're fighting over whether I'm good enough to carry their bags. I just don't think I'm going to do this anymore. It's just not worth it. All I'm doing is carrying their bags. I'm not preaching. I'm not planning or leading or whatever. I'm just their assistant. And if they're going to, you know, make a big deal like this, that's fine. They can find somebody else. Anybody can carry their bags. Let somebody else do that. I'm done. But Mark resisted that tendency that would say, my reputation matters. I care what people think about me, so I'm not going to do what God has called me to do. I don't know that we know for sure what Mark was called to do, but as, as I looked through that timeline and as I looked through the scriptures that reference him in those places, there was a, just a handful of adjectives or descriptions of Mark, and one was an assistant. So an assistant is not the main person, is it? It's not the leader. It's not the, it's not the front guy. It's not the front and center person. It's just a helper. And so that's what Mark was to Paul and Barnabas. Later in Colossians, uh, Mark says, or 
Paul says that Mark was a comfort to him. And Mark was one of just, a, you know, Paul ended up being the apostle that primarily was responsible for bringing the gospel beyond just to Jews. And so Mark was a Jew, and there weren't very many Jews that went with Paul on this journey and on this mission to spread the gospel to the Gentiles, the, the non-Jews. And so Mark was one of the few Jews that would do that. And Paul says, that, that's a real comfort to me that Mark is with me. So Mark is a comfort. He's an assistant. Peter refers to him as my son, which leads us to think that Peter is probably the one that led Mark to know Jesus as his savior. Um, I don't know when that was. It may have been, you know, at that time when Peter came back from prison to, to Mark's house, to his mom's house, and, and he, he was delivered. You know, he had seen his coworker beheaded for his faith in Jesus. But Mark came to faith in Jesus and quite possibly, quite probably through, through Peter. And so Peter describes him not as my coworker or, you know, as a, a guy that gives me a lot of good ideas. He calls him my son in the faith. And then finally, the last rec record of Mark, Paul says he's very useful to me for ministry. So I don't know about you, but I, I think, you know, that is kind of a compliment. But if you think about what ministry is, that's service. And, you know, just, just to be considered useful, maybe we would aspire to something higher than that for ourselves. You know, I, I, I mean, it's nice to be useful. I don't like to be a problem. I, don't, I didn't, didn't really like it when Paul said I wasn't useful or fit for use. But I would like him to say something like, he's a great guy. He's really smart. He's really godly. He, uh, you know, even dependable, but useful. I can use him. That's basically Paul's saying, I can use Mark, so bring him because I want to use him. Well, all of these things, descriptions of Mark, make me feel like his gift may, in 1 Corinthians 14, or 12, Paul talks about different gifts that God has given the church in people. And as I read through this list, it says God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets. So apostles, that would have been like Paul. Um, second prophets would have been like Barnabas. Um, teachers, next. And then it gets down to, and then here's all the rest, okay? So these are kind of, you could, you could take it since it's first, second, and then. And then there's this list, gifts of healing, helping administrating and various kinds of tongues and I, I kind of think just from what I, I see in the scriptures about Mark that his gift was helping he was the assistant he was a comfort he was a son like a son he was very useful in service and so Mark embraced that gift of God that God had given him as being a help and he didn't get set aside by the fact that Paul said, you're not worthy to help me anymore. He continued on. He went with Barnabas. Barnabas would accept his help. So he went and he helped Barnabas. And so he resisted his reputation and he grasped God's gift. And so now we'll come to, this is kind of the doctrinal teaching part of how this looks in our life 
And interestingly enough, I think um, the passage that I was drawn to in thinking about Mark was written by Paul, the apostle, about probably five or six years after he said, Mark is not worthy to come with us. And, and so Paul is talking in this part of 1 Corinthians about the fact that um, people in Corinth were saying, you know, uh, I'm, I'm a follower of Paul. Someone else would say, I'm a follower of Apollos. And someone else would say, I'm a follower of Christ. And they were putting people up in a position of leadership. And Paul is saying, you know, and some people were putting him down. They were coming to Corinth and saying, you know, Paul, he's, he's really just in this to get your money. You better watch your wallets because he's in this to get your money. And a variety of things. They are setting themselves up, setting Paul down. And Paul says this. Here in 1 Corinthians 4, he says, this is how you ought to think of me, or us. He's talking about the, the gifted people that they were placing up on a pedestal. He says, this is how one should regard us, as servants of Christ and as stewards of the mystery of God. So he, he's saying you shouldn't think of us as people to be put up on a pedestal. You shouldn't think of us as your leader that you're going to follow and you're going to put my name on you, you should think of us as servants of Christ and as stewards of the mystery of God. So Paul, other Paul apostles and prophets, they were given a, a message from God to tell them to give to the church this, this information about how God made us righteous, how he made us into the church, how the church is something new, that it's made up of all believers in the Lord Jesus, that it's the bride of Christ, that it's the body of Christ, that each one of us is gifted in a particular way, that the church works this way, that it's on the foundation of Jesus Christ, built on the truth of the apostles and prophets. All this message was not known to people generally then, but God revealed that message to people that wrote the New Testament, and Paul says, all we are is stewards of the mysteries of God. We've been given something that's not ours, but we've been given to treat it like it is ours and be faithful in it and use it the way God intended it to be used. And it's a, he goes on, he says, um, it's required of stewards that they be found faithful. Well, Paul was given this mystery, this ministry that you and I were not given. God's not giving us a new revelation of this is some new truth that nobody else has known before. We have his truth completed in the word of God. But he has given you and me a unique gift. See, when you put your trust in the Lord Jesus as your Savior, you receive the Spirit of God. And with the Spirit of God, you received a gift of the Spirit that makes you unique as a believer. And you are a steward of that gift, meaning that you need to manage and use that gift the way God intended you to manage and use that gift. So Mark, God gave him the gift probably of being a helper. And Mark said, you know, I can't worry about my reputation. I need to reject that urge to react to my reputation and I need to grasp the gift that God has given me and I'm going to. I'm going to serve wherever I can serve and help wherever I can help. And so ultimately, God found Mark faithful 
and entrusted him to pen part of the word of God, the second book in the New Testament, the gospel according to Mark. And so that, that is, in a nutshell, the lesson of Mark. And it, it's interesting, then Paul goes on, he says, with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself. For I'm not aware of anything against myself, but I'm not thereby acquitted. It's the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. So, Paul, I think, probably learned a lesson between in that five-year span of time, between the time when he said, Mark is not worthy to carry my bags, and the time he penned this uh, letter to Corinth. And the lesson that he learned from God was people are not the judge of how we use the gift of God, what kind of stewards, what kind of servants we are of the Lord. We're not, we serve each other, but we're not each other's servants, if that makes sense. We're servants of the Lord, and the Lord is the one who looks down and will one day make it clear to us how we're serving. Now, this is not an arrogant thing, because Paul says, you know what, I don't even judge myself. I, I'm not aware of anything I'm going on in. I'm not aware of sin and the way I carry things out, or I'm not aware of a work that God has given me that I'm not doing, but that doesn't mean that I'm good just because I think I'm okay. He says, I commit this all to God, and I'm not going to judge it now. I'm not going to judge you now in your service of the Lord, and I'm not going to judge me now in my service of the Lord. I commit that to God, to the Lord, the one who gave the gift, the one who owns it, and who gave it for a specific purpose. And so he says, don't pronounce judgment before the time. So Paul lays this lesson out to us, and he uh, warns us against judging the service of others or accepting the judgment of others. Like Mark could have accepted the judgment of Paul of his fitness and then just stopped being a faithful servant and a faithful steward of God's gift. So if you remember the first verse we talked about in Hebrews, we said it said, um, looking to Jesus, the author and completer of our faith. And so I want to look at Jesus in regard to this as well in Philippians 2. And this is another epistle written by Paul. And he says in verses 5 through 8, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, this way of thinking you get from Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself. Or another translation, and I put it up on the screen there, it says, made himself of no reputation. He emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. So Jesus models this as well. He didn't hang on to or grasp his reputation as God the Son. He was God the Son. He says he was equal with God, but he didn't count that as something that he was going to maintain and 
talk about and demonstrate every day and make sure everybody agreed with. He did talk about it. He did demonstrate it. And everybody that was seeing and hearing with open eyes and ears believed that Jesus was the Son of God. But he did not count that as something to grasp. He made himself of no reputation. So as we look to Jesus and our pathway of faith, we can look at ourselves as well and say, my reputation doesn't matter. If Jesus emptied himself of his reputation, I need to empty myself of my reputation. And that shows up in so many ways. You know, sometimes we want to self-promote. Or sometimes we want to go away when somebody else puts us down. We want to quit. Mark didn't do that. Jesus didn't do that. Paul didn't do that either. And we shouldn't do that. We need to grasp the gift that God has given us and persevere in using it the way God intended us to use it in his church. So another aspect here of, of looking to Jesus, I wanted to kind of I scan through the book of Mark as I was looking at this and um, to see, you know, where Jesus' life story may have made an impression on Mark in this way. And there, there's repeated times we'd, we would expect that of somebody that made himself of no reputation, but, you know, the people asked him, how come your disciples don't fast? John's disciples fast. Why don't your disciples fast? Well, Jesus wasn't affected by that, was he? Why don't you keep the Sabbath? I see your disciples are out there picking corn and eating it on the Sabbath day. Why don't you keep the Sabbath? Uh, Jesus' own mother and his brothers, they started to get embarrassed. They said, he's, he's out of his mind. Let's go get him and bring him back home. He's an embarrassment to the family because Jesus was becoming known and, and there was starting to become resistance to him. And his own family comes to him and says, come back home, come back home. And what did Jesus say? He said, those that are my mother and my brethren are those that obey me. He wasn't affected in his service of God by what his own family even thought of him. And then he, Jesus makes this comment in Mark chapter 10, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. So the cornerstone, that's, that's the main corner of the foundation. And if you want a square foundation and you want a level foundation, you have to pick a starting point. There's a, at least an architect in here, so I'm, I'm over my head here in describing architecture and, and building principles, but, so you can correct me later if I'm wrong. You have to pick a starting point, and then you have to make sure things are square from there. You know, can you too? <laughs> you guys can fill me up. You know, you gotta know which line is your hypotenuse, where your right angles are, all this stuff, and you need a starting point to start with a level foundation. Ephesians tells us that Christ is the cornerstone of the church. The apostles and prophets, their teachings are the foundation, and we're all built on that. Well, Jesus is that cornerstone, but when he was here, that wasn't his reputation. They rejected him. They said, we don't, we don't want him. We don't want what he's building, but he persevered in spite of that reputation. And then people started to pick up on that in Jesus, in chapter 12, they said, teacher, and this was, you know, setting him up to try to trick him, but nevertheless, this is the truth of what they knew about him. Teacher, we know that you are true and not swayed 
by appearances. What a great thing to be said about a man. What a great thing to be said about our Savior. What a great thing that could be said about us. You're true. You're not swayed by appearances. You're not worried about your reputation. You're not living for your reputation. In fact, we resist our reputation and we grasp God's gift and pursue what he's done for us. So, what about you? Mark chapter 4, Jesus says, Is a lamp brought in to be put under a basket or under a bed and not on a stand? I think we can apply what Jesus is saying here to each one of us. If God has saved you, he brought you into his church, he brought you into his family, he brought you into the body of Christ, not to be hid under a basket, but to be set up on a stand and shine and function to grasp the gift God has given you and use it. Maybe somewhere out at those tables out there, there's a gift, your gift, a good work that God has prepared for you. Maybe it's not out there. Maybe it's something else. That's between you and God, but others around you can be a help. We don't worry about our reputation, but we do receive um, what we call sometimes constructive feedback <laughs> is very helpful. And sometimes our gift needs to be refined and grown. You know, we may have a, a gift from God, but that doesn't mean that we're perfect in it, and others around us can help us grow in that. That's different than, than being impacted by a fear of a certain reputation or being rejected or judged by others. So don't let your reputation act like a bushel basket set over you and the gift that God has given you individually and specifically. Resist your reputation and grasp God's gift. So what's the outcome? What about all of us? And this is, you know, from one of, this is probably my favorite passage about the church, is Ephesians chapter 4, the first 16 verses in it. It comes to this, you know, crescendo here at the end, I think, in, in my appreciation of it anyway. It says, when each part, that means each one of us that God has saved and brought into his church and given a gift, when each part is working properly, it makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. So the body here, Paul is talking about the church of God. That body that each one of us belongs to who is a believer in Jesus Christ. God has given you a gift when he saved you. When he gave you his spirit, he gave you a gift. And he expected you to be faithful in living out that gift. And when you're faithful, when I'm faithful... When each individual is faithful, this body grows up and it builds itself up in love. This is how the church of God prospers and thrives with each one of us individually grasping the gift that God has given us that he hasn't given anyone else and resisting, you know, what this might look like to others, how this might come across to others, what other people are saying about me, what they think of how I'm doing what I'm doing. We need to resist that. Grasp the gift that God has given you and function properly in the body. So I think this is the lesson that I learned from Mark and his life. Very low-key person. Perhaps a very low-key gift. But he used it. He persevered in it. He didn't let even the opinion 
or the criticism of a man of the stature of the Apostle Paul stop him from serving God's servants, a servant to the servants. And, you know, Jesus says in the Gospels, I can't, um, I can't give you the chapter and verse right now, but he said, blessed is the one who the Lord finds doing this when he comes. He will make him the one that gives his servants food to eat. Serving the servants is the highest position in the kingdom of God. Serving the servants is the highest position in the kingdom of God. So don't let your reputation stop you from being a servant. Don't let your reputation stop you from exercising the gift that God has given you. So the band can come back up. That's kind of the summary, I think, of, of Mark and his life and the way it impressed me as I studied it the last few weeks. And I trust that that, that resonates with you that you have a recognition of what God has called you to and that you will be faithful in carrying out that service. We are going to have a time now as we sing of, of taking communion, taking the bread, taking the juice. It's a remembrance to us of what Jesus did on the cross for us. His body was broken like this bread and he's asked us to remember him by taking the bread and taking the cup to remember his body and his blood and his love to us in that. So as you uh, prepare to come up or go to the table in the back and take the bread and the juice, remember to remember and thank him in, in your hearts this morning. Let's just ask his blessing. Lord, we just thank you for Mark. Thank you for your example that you made yourself of no reputation. Thank you for your obedience to your father to go into that work of the cross to die for us to bear in your sin in your body our sins on the cross thank you for this bread and for this juice that reminds us of it and we ask your blessing on it in jesus name amen this is also an opportunity to just lay down those sins and those worries and those burdens come before the cross